This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. All right, well, we're going to get into the Word today. And um, as I spoke of earlier, we're talking about healing today, uh, healing for the family. And that's the title. You can throw that up there. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot of things that are close to my heart. Of course, Jesus is. Of course, all you wonderful, beautiful people are. But there's, uh, there's certain things that just really um, the Lord's laid on, on my heart and on the heart of this church and you know that, hey, we believe that Jesus is Lord, right? There's nobody even near Jesus. We believe the word of God is perfectly true. There's nothing wrong with the Bible, so don't try to fix it. It's trying to fix you, amen? And so I also believe strongly that Jesus is the healer. He brings healing to us, to our physical bodies, okay? I've, uh, you know, I've, we've taught on this a lot lately, but I believe that Jesus is undeniably the healer of sickness, but I also believe that Jesus doesn't only heal your body. We know that he came and gave you a born-again spirit if you receive him as your Lord and Savior, so he'll heal your spirit up and, and make you a brand new person. He'll heal your mind and your soul, but another thing that's close to my heart is the topic of family, and, uh, and I just, families, they are the pillar and backbone of what makes a strong society and community. I mean, you know, you got to have, I'm talking about a godly Christian family, okay? And so one thing that Satan loves to attack in our world and in our culture and in our community, he loves to attack families. Because what's, what's so threatening about a family? You kidding me? A mom and a dad that get married and make a covenant before God Almighty, right? Hey, marriage isn't a piece of paper. It's a covenant. Amen. I've talked about this, but don't tell me that my marriage to my wife is just a piece of paper. It doesn't mean anything. It means everything. It's a covenant, and we made a promise before God Almighty and in front of a preacher and in front of a crowd of witnesses that we would love each other and we would be there for each other and not give up until death do us part, and we ain't dead, so we're still together. Come on, somebody. Amen. And so marriage is a big deal. But society and the devil will come in and say, ah, you don't need that. That's nothing. You don't need that. That's old, that's old school. That's a lie from hell. You do need to get married. Amen. You do. You know, if, if as long, I mean, if you're going to be romantically involved with someone that if you just want to be single your whole life, then, hey, do you. That's great. You know, that's, that's allowed. That's cool. But Satan will come in and try to undermine marriages because a married Christian mom and dad, what do they do? They raise three or four or however many Christian children that come up to the next generation. And in turn, they raise more Christian children and families that know the Bible and know how to stand on the word and know how to fight back against the sin and the attacks and the filth that come against us. That's Satan's worst nightmare. He's terrified of that. He doesn't even want one person in the city knowing how to fight the devil, let alone dozens and dozens and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of families that know their rights in the name of Jesus, that know how to use the Bible, that have enough guts and backbone to stand up against the filth that comes against us. That's not what the devil wants. And if he could do anything to you right now, he would split up your home. I believe he would rather split up your home than kill you with a sickness. Amen. Why? I mean, listen, you kill me. I'm again, I don't make light of it, but what's the worst that's going to happen? I'm going to go to heaven and live in a mansion and dance on streets of gold. Don't threaten me with a good time, brother. Listen, I'm not afraid of going to heaven. I'm looking forward to it. But the devil, I mean, that, that's that's one thing. But if he could split up your home and mess up your children and get you to hate somebody and get you to turn on each other, He's A-OK with that, and that's what he wants. And so I'm not here to make you feel uncomfortable today. I'm here to teach you how to bring healing and health to your family. And I, being a pastor for 14 years now, most of that being a youth pastor, but I know this much, the devil messes with families. And then he tries to tell you that you're a freak because you're the only family that's got troubles in the church. When every week I get phone calls, pastor, we need some marriage counseling. Pastor, we need, can you talk to the kids? Pastor, every single week, 52 weeks a year, and then the devil tells you that you're just some sort of nut and you're some sort of freak and you're the only ones having troubles. You're not. 
You're not. But praise God, it doesn't have to stay that way. Through the word of God, you can raise a healthy, healed family and make the devil pay for everything he tried to do to you. Amen. He tried to mess up your life when you were a kid. What are you going to do? You're going to raise up three kids to make, to, you know, that are godly and going to fight him for all the stuff that he did to you. Amen. You're going to pay him back and it's going to be through you living godly and through you raising godly kids. And so if there, there's a lot of great Bible things I believe in, I really believe in a godly family and a godly marriage. And I want to help you today with some of this. And so Gloria Copeland said this. I got this out of the devotional. She said, spiritually speaking, your family is under attack. You see, it's not only one of your most precious gifts, but when it's operating in harmony, it's one of your most powerful resources. Satan knows that even if you don't, and he's out to destroy it. You know, the book of Psalms tells us a lot of things about the Christian family. But it tells us that, that uh, a man that has children, he's blessed. He said he's like a man that's got a quiver full of arrows that's ready to confront the enemy at the gates. Your children, hey, you're raising them in a godly way. They are arrows. They are weapons to help you fight the devil. They are a powerful resource to you. But this is if we do things God's way. And so I'm going to throw a few stats out there and, uh, you know, just to, to bring things into light a little bit. But it is true that the national divorce rate hovers around 50%. All right. That's, it's been that way for several years and, and each, you know, little while it seems to tick up a little bit higher. And, uh, Satan wants to make the divorce rate go higher and higher with each generation. He wants to screw up and hurt and damage families for a long time. But, uh, I, I, I found this out, that if a kid comes from a home where the parents stayed married, his chances of getting a divorce himself decreased by 14%, just simply by having parents that were able to, to work through it and stay married. And there's this book called Understanding the Divorce Cycle, and uh, the author Nicholas Wolfinger found out that the risk of divorce is 50% higher when one spouse comes from a divorced home and 200% higher when both partners come from a divorced home. I'm like, wow, we got to stop this. We got to stop this. Amen. And that's not to make anybody that's had a divorce feel bad. That's to say, hey, there's healing and there is health and there is help for your marriage so our kids and our grandkids don't have to go through the same pain that we went through. Jesus is the healer for my body. Jesus is the healer for my mind and my spirit. And Jesus is the healer for my family. Who believes that today? That Jesus can heal your family. And so, all, you know, what, what, is this just a bunch of scary stuff I'm throwing out there? No. Here's the good news. Here's the super good news. And I love, this is my favorite statistic to share. And, uh, and I've shared this a lot, but it's my favorite stat that I've ever heard. And so, while it is true that the national divorce rate hovers around 50%, I was always told for years, even, they even told me this in Bible college when I was a student, that the sad news, tragically, the divorce rate is just as high amongst Christians that go to church. And I believed that. And I'm like, man, that's awful. What hope is there for us if we're just as bad as them? But then I found out that that's a lie and that is not true. A Harvard research professor named Shanti Feldhen did a decades-long study on Christian couples that actually go to church, not just CEO. You know what a CEO Christian is? Christmas and Easter only. They go to like twice a year. Anyway, I'm not talking about them, not the half-baked, not the lukewarmers. I'm talking about committed Christian couples that literally go to church together every week and even better, several times a week. Those couples, the divorce rate plummets below 10%. Below 10, and then I was like, that isn't, that, a 40% drop? That's like unheard of! 40% drop? And then she dug a little deeper and found out that couples that did not live together before marriage, their divorce rate fell below 10%, whether they were Christian or not Christian, and Christian couples that didn't live together before marriage, their divorce rate was around 5%. That is insane numbers. So what does all that tell me? It tells me that apparently 
God knew what he was doing this whole time. Until we came in and said, no, the modern family isn't like that. No, 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 no. I know the Bible says that. That's outdated. We've got new resources and new information, and we've got this now, and we know better. That's a lie. Jesus knew right the entire time. That's a shock, isn't it? He, no, it's not a shock. He knew the entire time what was good for your family, what was good for your marriage. And I'm telling you today that there is Hope. Amen. And so Psalm 127 verse 1 says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. When the Lord builds your house and builds your home, you are on the right foundation. If you're building a home and a family and a marriage without the Lord building that house, the work is all in vain. And so I'm not here today to put down. I'm here to encourage you and build you up and say, hey, if you've got family issues, hey, we all do. Welcome to the club. But the good news is this, is that we know how to fix family issues around here because we know how to listen to God and get a hold of his word and let Jesus get involved. And so one of the very first things I want to tell you today, this will be on the screen right here, is this, is that the family is one of the first things Satan attacked in the very beginning. Literally, one of the first things that Satan did in the book of Genesis was tear at the family and the marriage. And we know that one of the, I mean, he came in and he tried to get them to doubt God's word. So know this much. He'll try to get you to doubt God's word. I'm going to throw Bible verses at you today and I'll bet. Satan's going to come and say, yeah, right, that's not what that means. That's not what it, and he'll try to get you to doubt God's word because he always does that. But one of the other very first things he did was come in and try to wreck the family in the beginning. Turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 3. Thank you. Hey, come on. Yeah, Genesis chapter 3. I'm here to tell you today that we have got answers, and there's nothing more that I love to see than a healed, healthy family, raising godly children, and then godly grandchildren. I mean, we got a lot of good grandparents in here today. Let's hear it for the grandparents, yeah? Come on. All right, hey, there we go. <laughs> he loves church. He loves church. He loves Jesus. All right. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 12. So in Genesis 3, we have the story of Adam and Eve eating the forbidden fruit. God confronts them after they do it. And instantly, we've got trouble in paradise. Come on. And so here we got it. Genesis 3, God's talking to them. Verse 12, the man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and then I ate it. What just happened here? God says, hey, we need to have a meeting. Uh, you, I mean, think of this. There were millions of trees. You can eat from every tree here. The only rule... You can do anything you want to do. There's just one rule for you guys. Don't eat out of that one tree. Go do anything else you want to do. Just don't eat out of that tree. And so what happens? Satan shows up and says, you think God really meant that? That's ridiculous. And Satan will come to you today and doubt, get you to doubt God's word. You think God really wants that? That's ridiculous. That's silly. Why would he even say that? That doesn't make any sense at all. And he will use people to tell you, you're old-fashioned. That doesn't work anymore that way. That's silly. That's, what are you, you live on Little House on the Prairie, Charles Ingalls? Well, come on, listen, what's wrong with you? And don't you make fun of that show. That is my favorite show. You, somebody say, man, I mean, come on, don't you touch, don't you touch Charles Ingalls, alright? And so, Satan will come in and make you think that God's ways are irrelevant, silly, and ridiculous. And so Eve's like, hey, wait, wait a minute. And Adam's standing there the entire time. And so God says, what just happened? And the husband stands up, and he blames the wife. And then he blames God. It was, it, was her, it was the woman that you gave me. She gave me the fruit, and, and then, yeah, I did eat it, but it was after you gave her to me, and then here we have it. So, I mean, I'm kind of the innocent guy here. I, 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 uh, I, I'm a victim. I'm a victim. It shouldn't have happened, but she did it to me, and... Ladies, would you like it if your man threw you under the bus like that? <laughs> and from, I mean, he just shoved her out there and said, she did it. She made this happen. And, 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 and here we have some pretty bad conflict. And all of this started because the man, Adam, Satan showed up and he didn't handle 
business. When Satan shows up at the house, man, stand up. Fight back. Use the word of God. And ladies, if your husband's not in that position and he's not living for the Lord yet, you got to do it. You got to use the word of God. You should, you know, of course, use it all the time anyway. But the Bible for sure tells us in Ephesians 5:23 that the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. The husband, biblically speaking, is the head of the household. And now there are some men that use this as a power trip, like, "Hey, I'm the head. Do what I say." You know. That's not my thing, you know, uh, I, I, because I found out that with with being the boss, it's not just getting to tell everybody what to do. There's a lot of responsibility with being the head of the house and with being the boss of anything. Why is that? It's more than just bossing people around and kids, go get the remote. Kids, go make me a Hot Pocket. Kids, I want, give me a Dr. Pepper. And, and, you know, that's, I guess, maybe what we thought it was when we were kids. But listen. Being the head of the house is a big responsibility. You are responsible to hear from Almighty God the direction that that family is supposed to go. You're to love them and protect them and take care of them like Christ loved the church. And that's not always the easiest thing to do. And so Adam right here, the family was attacked right at the beginning of time. Adam failed and Eve failed. And it gets worse. Look at chapter 4. Look at chapter 4. Look at this, Genesis chapter 4. And so I'm telling you today, you better fight for your family. It's the best gift that God gave you. There's some people, they'll fight for their job. They'll, I know guys, they'll fight for their sports team. They trade fist over their football team, and then the devil messes with their family, and they won't even open up the Bible. I hope that hurt. <laughs> I hope that got somebody. Listen, if you would take a punch to the face for your football team, but you wouldn't open the Bible for your family, something's wrong with that. Fight for your family. Fight for your children. Fight for your wife. So Adam and Eve, they failed. And they do have children, as we know, of who all of us are descendants of somehow. But Genesis 4, verses 8 through 11 One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. The very first murder and death in recorded human history is one brother killing the other brother out of a a, a situation of jealousy. And God accepted one brother's sacrifice because it was pure and from the heart. And God, the other one, Cain, like, no, you don't even mean that. I, no, I don't, I, I don't accept your offering or your sacrifice. He gets, instead of, instead of saying, what can I do to change me, Lord, to be right in your sight? He says, I know what I'll do. I'll kill my brother since you're so happy with him. Do you see how the devil would want to come in and destroy your family? He he tried to split up Adam and Eve and, and, and wreck that thing, and it was a mess. And then he comes in and causes their children to fight. And so he attacks him and kills him. Verse 9, afterward the Lord asked Cain, where's your brother? Where's Abel? I don't know. Cain responded, am I my brother's guardian? Basically how we'd say it now is, Am I his babysitter or something? Why don't you go find him? I don't know. What a disrespectful, mean, arrogant little dude. I mean, come on, talking to God like that. But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. If you think your family has issues, the first family ever they had some pretty big issues. They had some stuff that they didn't exactly succeed in. God's plan from the very beginning of time was for the family to live in the garden in peace and harmony and unity. Satan's plan right from the beginning was to come in and wreck families. Right from the beginning, he wants to wreck families, and he's doing the same thing from today. We know this much that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, you know, it says, I am God, I change not. Well, the devil's like, hey, I'm the devil. I change not. I was trying to destroy people back then, and that's what I'm trying to do today. But praise God, what did we say earlier? There's some bad stuff out there, but the Lord is good. 
Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Do you take refuge in the Lord today, or do you take refuge in your money? Do you take refuge in your title at work? Do you take refuge in something else? Then I don't know what to tell you. But if you take refuge in the Lord, oh, the joy that is available to you. And I'm telling you right now, if you'll do things God's way, I can pretty much guarantee success for your family if you'll do it God's way. It's a beautiful thing. I love it. Amen? And so... Satan's tried to pit brother against brother since the beginning of time. And, you know, I, I was thinking of this. Even, you know, I, I had a good childhood, all right? And I understand that not everybody did. I didn't have a perfect childhood. Um, but I, I am fortunate that I had parents that, that they got married and they worked through everything and they made the word of God a priority. Was there sometimes arguments? Yep. Was there sometimes kids doing stupid stuff? Oh, yeah, I've got stories on my brother. It wasn't so much me, but, you know, <laughs> hey, none of them are here to defend themselves, all right? <laughs> so anyway, but, yeah, you know, we weren't perfect. But thank God my parents laid the foundation. And so Satan's tried to pit brother against brother for as long as the earth has been around. I was just thinking about this the other day. So me and my brother Josh, you guys know Josh. He's the worship leader here. And uh, anyway, we've been close my whole life. But somehow God saw fit to give us a super annoying little brother, okay? His name's Joe, amen, amen. And he's probably watching online. But anyway, uh, and so he was always just doing stuff to get at us. And I'm like, I don't know if it was the devil working through him or if he was just simply that annoying by nature. And so me and Josh decided, you know what? We, I was just, the only reason I'm telling this story is because it got brought up the other day. And I gotta say, it's a pretty, we, we got him pretty good one time. And so, Joe loved baseball, and we're like, you know what? We're tired of him taking our stuff and messing. So we decided we got a bunch of our old baseball cards that we were no good. We forged autographs on all of this whole stack of baseball cards with a Sharpie. We put them in an envelope and straight up mailed them to my brother with this letter. He's like eight years old, but I mean, he, just super annoying. And so, and so, uh, we, we mail him these, these letter, this letter with it. It says, congratulations. Your name was drawn from a, a drawing at the county fair. Your prize is a bunch of baseball, signed baseball cards. It was, it was so generically worded. I don't know how I even believed it. But I just remember waiting, like, by the mailbox. Oh, I can't wait. So two days later, he opens up. Woo! He's dancing and screaming. And, and me and Josh are like, oh, what'd you get, little brother? That's so awesome. <laughs> Look at these. This is a, no one's heard of these guys. These are great cards. He was dancing and thought he had just won the lottery. And anyway. Mother made us break the news, and then we were grounded for a super long time. But guess what? It was worth it. I, it was worth it. I'm just going to – I don't regret that. I stand by that decision to this day. I would probably do it again. Anyway, you guys know I love my brother. I love all my brothers. I'm just joking. I've got a lot of brothers, though. I think I've got, I've got four brothers plus me makes five. And then three sisters, a large family, and I love all of them dearly, and we all get along great. But anyway, I'm just telling you a little story from us. Because – Jesus himself had family issues. And that's one thing that a lot of people don't talk about. But you need to realize that even in today's standards, we would probably say that Jesus came from a dysfunctional family. And you're like, well, I don't know about that. Well, the scripture tells us in Hebrews that Jesus faced all of the same testings and temptations that we do, yet without sin. If you've got family struggles, you better know that Jesus had some family struggles. Look at John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Amen. Are we getting anything today? I could probably feed you some more ideas on how to get back at your brothers if you need that. I've, I'm full of ideas. Amen. It's just a gift the Lord gave me. So John chapter 7. <laughs> John chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 2 through 5. And so here we have Jesus and you know that Jesus, definitely in the family, he was kind of the, kind of the odd man out. Uh, he, for one, was, truly was perfect. And so, you know, you can imagine literally having a perfect brother in the family. I mean, we say that, and like, you're mom and dad's favorite. You, you're perfect. And literally, Jesus was perfect. He never sinned, even as a child. And that's probably really difficult to grow up with, with this one brother out of the whole family. He's perfect. 
He never does anything wrong, and it's not just a stretch of the imagination. It's the absolute truth. And, of course, Jesus did have a different dad than all of them, and uh, and it's just that's the truth of the situation. But John chapter 7, verse 2, it says, But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters, and Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. And we're reading this, and we're like, oh, they're supportive. They're saying this sarcastically. There's a big, imagine a big festival, a big carnival, a big event going on. And they're like, oh, Jesus, you ought to go down there, man. You ought to go down there. There's a big crowd. I'll bet if you went down there, you could really show off. You could really show everybody how perfect you are. Come on, Jesus, go on down there so your followers can really see all your miracles. What do you say, brother? And so they're doing this sarcastically. Verse 4, you can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, Jesus, go show yourself to the world. Why'd they say all this? Verse 5, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. Here we have Jesus, who we think, man, it must have been great being Jesus. Man, it's hard enough when other people don't even believe you or support in you. His own brothers didn't believe in him and got sarcastic and sassy. And like, oh, go, hey, go show off. Why don't you go do that wine thing again, Jesus? That was pretty cool, but they'd like that, huh? Jesus, go show off if you really are all that. And he's like, man, no, 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 it's not my time. It's not my time. And and, and so his brothers were trash-talking him. And there's several other recorded instances. I'm just going to throw this on the screen, but Mark 6, 4, Jesus went to his hometown. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. Everywhere Jesus went, you know, he goes to this city and the crowds come and he's praying for the deaf and he's healing the blind and people are coming and giving praise. And then he goes to his own hometown and it comes to a screeching halt and he's like, don't you know, a prophet's honored everywhere except with his own family, except his own hometown. One day Jesus is teaching and these guys come and say, hey, Jesus, your brothers and sisters are outside. They're all out there. And Jesus says, hey, who's my brothers? Who's my sisters? My brothers and my sisters are the people that do the word of God. Like, wow. He wasn't being mean about his own family, but I'll tell you this much. His own family was pretty rotten to him a whole lot of the time. But I know this much. Jesus loved them. Jesus was still there for them. In fact, some of them even became some of the 12 disciples. But listen, Jesus faced family issues and if Jesus had family issues, don't you think that Satan's going to try to come and attack your household? Oh, yeah. He's going to try to do it. Refuse to let him win. Fight for your family. They are worth it. Your kids are worth it. Your grandkids are worth it. Your husband is worth it. Your wife is worth it. Your dog might even be worth it. I don't know. But listen, your family is worth it. Fight for them and do it God's way. So here we go. Two keys to healing the family. Two keys to healing the family. Number one, I'm going to say choose love. Now, I don't say that in a cheap, generic, fluff, Hallmark Channel movie type of way. Choose love. <laughs> no, I'm talking about you better determine in your heart that I'm going to choose to love them the way that God says to love them. Because love, it's not always a feeling. It's a choice. Amen? And I'm talking about every single day you have opportunity after opportunity to get upset or offended or angry with people, especially your own family. How do you know this, Pastor Dave? I grew up with eight siblings. And one bathroom. I don't want to toot my own horn, but I deserve the Medal of Honor here. Do you know how hard that is? I mean, come on. Eight kids, two parents, one bathroom. Thank God, 80 acres of woods back there. So, you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. But listen, listen to me. I, I speak from experience that I know that it can be difficult. And the very people that mean the most to you can be the very ones that hurt you the most. 
But I'm going to let you in on a secret, and you may or may not believe me, but that's fine. I'm patient. I can wait till we get to heaven for Jesus to tell you how right I am on this. I'm just, I'm telling you, I can wait right now. But I've discovered that we have the ability, we do, to simply choose to not be offended and choose to love people. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that you have a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind, or the New Living Translation says, self-discipline. Now, if I'm unsaved, there's prob- if I'm not a child of God, if I'm just some worldly person, I probably don't have much control over some of my emotions and choices and decisions. But as a child of God, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, I have been given a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind or self-discipline. Because of Jesus, I and you have so much self-discipline that even when somebody's mean to me, I've got enough of Jesus within me to say, you know what? I choose to forgive you. I choose to love you. I choose to turn the other cheek. You don't know my wife. Woo! You don't know my husband. That man is something else. I don't care. I know Jesus. And I know the Bible. Now, I understand, hey, there's some in, some deep things that we cross, you know, abuse or infidelity. I'm not saying you just ignore that and say, I get it. There's some deeper things. But if you're just mad because he left the toilet seat up again, don't let that wreck your day. If that's the worst thing that happens to you, I envy you and I want your life. Because I have heavier issues come to me by the minute. Okay, if you're just mad because Junior ate the last Hot Pocket and you really wanted it before your dinner, listen, get over it. Deal with it. Come on, listen. If you're just mad because something dumb and stupid happened and you're really going to let the devil, if you're going to let the devil wreck your whole day and your whole week because she left hair in the drain again, listen, get over it. Build a bridge and get on over that issue. That is not worth getting train wrecked and beating the brains all week long. Come on, somebody. Amen. And so, listen, listen, listen. Um, I don't, this is just, I'm just going to use this as an example, okay? Uh, And this is not where I get sermon material, okay? But I'll just throw something. So, a long time ago, I was watching an episode of Seinfeld, okay? A long time ago. And so, uh, I, I'm not saying it's the worst show in the world. I'm not, I'm not even endorsing it. I don't really watch it anymore. But there's something that really caught me on there. And one time, uh, Seinfeld, this guy shows up that they went to, to elementary school together. And way back in the day, this Jerry Seinfeld had beat this guy in a foot race at recess. And this guy has been jealous and bitter for years. And he's been training. And he shows up one day. And he's like, I want to challenge you to a race because I can beat you now. And Seinfeld, no, yeah, this guy can probably beat me. And so everybody's like, you got to race him. you got to race him. And this guy's like, you got to race me or you're a sissy. And he has an answer throughout the whole episode. I choose not to run. Like, well, 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 why aren't you going to race him? I choose not to run. And he uses that. And that may sound silly, but I'm thinking about that. And, like, people are like, aren't you going to get mad at her? Aren't you going to put him in his place? Are you going to let her talk to you that way? <laughs> are you going to do it? And you know what I'm going to say? <laughs> I choose not to be offended. You can't do that. Oh, I did it, and I do it. Listen, and my family, we, we're working on that. Listen, I simply choose to not be offended. And and you're like, well, that doesn't work that way. It's worked beautifully in my life. Don't wake me up because I'm having the best dream of my life right now. Listen, it works beautifully to say, you know what? Yeah, they did me wrong. Yeah, they, they took my last Arizona tea, and I had even hidden it in a really great spot, and they still somehow found it. That's good. My boys are on the front row looking at each other. Like, Who's going? Listen. Hey, I got you. Listen to me. You do have power, love, and self-control or a sound mind. When you realize this, it'll change your life. The things that used to just blow up off the handle over, I can't believe it. You can choose to not let stupid little things 
wreck your whole day and wreck your relationships with your family. It's an incredible truth, and it is just absolute facts that you can choose. And and listen, when it comes to obeying the Bible, every part of the Bible, it's your choice whether you're going to obey it or not. Well, I got saved because God made me. Then you didn't get saved. <laughs> listen, it's your choice. You choose today who you will serve. It's your choice. You have to say with your mouth. You have to believe in your heart. It's your choice. I don't tithe because God makes me. Like, Ow, fine. I tap out. Fine, I'll tithe. Stop. No. I tithe because I choose to. God told me to, but I do it because I chose to. God doesn't get my checkbook out every two weeks and write a check and, and cut it out. I choose to do it because... Him telling me to do it is good enough reason right there. That's good enough. I don't need any other reason than that. But on top of that, yeah, it brings blessing and and opens the windows of heaven over my life, according to Malachi chapter 3. I'm not at church today because I have to be here. You're the preacher. No, I, I could have done something else. Come on. Listen, I'm here because I like to come to church. I chose to. And the scripture does tell me in Hebrews 10 to not forsake the assembling of the saints. And so it's biblical to go to church, and I chose, and you chose to be here today. Great choice. Choosing to love my family, yes, the Bible tells me to, but God doesn't make me do it. I choose to love and forgive. I choose to not be offended at them or at you or at anybody. I love the Lord, and I love you, and I'm not going to let something stupid like that trip me up in my life. Let's look today. I'm going to use First uh, Corinthians 13, and now I'm looking at the Amplified Classic, the Amp Classic. They made an update to the Amplified a couple years ago. But I'm going to the Amplified Classic here, which I don't use a lot. The Amplified is a great translation. It is the wordiest translation because... It takes all these words and expounds every, you know, really meaningful Greek word. And so it's like the verses are twice as long. Coincidentally, it was also uh, the very first uh, complete translation that a woman translated. So good news for you. It does use double the words, but it's all good. <laughs> My wife just said, I choose to love. Amen. Good for you, honey. Amen. And that's how it works. You throw zingers at each other, and then if, if uh, you know, 17 years right here, 17 years, it's working, amen? So you just got to figure this stuff out. But 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4, in the Amplified Classic, it says, Love endures long and is patient and kind. Yeah, I've been enduring him for 25 years. Have you been patient and kind while you're doing it? Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy, is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. Now, some of these words aren't words we use a lot, but but check it out. This, what we're reading right here, is God's definition of love. And so, oftentimes, we, we put love in our own definition and on our own terms. I love him. I haven't killed him yet. I love her. She's, you know, I go to work every day, and good for you. That's good stuff. You know, you should be doing that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we're walking in God's definition of love, okay? And so this is God. If you, had, if you were to ask, God, what is love? Well, first of all, God is love, First John 4, 8. But looking at First Corinthians 13, this is God's textbook definition of how a Christian loves other people. They endure long. They are patient and kind. They're not envious. They don't boil over with jealousy. They're not boastful. They're not vainglorious. The love of God isn't vain and superficial and, hey, you know what? I can do all, I look like all this. Hey, you ought to love me. No, that's not how, no, no. It does not display itself haughtily. Verse 5, it is not conceited, that is arrogant and inflated with pride. It is not rude. The love of God is not rude. That's just something to think about. Because if we're rude to other people all the time, you're not really walking in the love of God. I'll just leave that there for your consideration. I can see that that, was, that went over really big. Okay. And so look at this. It does not act unbecomingly. Love, that's God's love in us, 
does not insist on its own rights or its own way. Listen, in that household, if you always have to have it your own way, every my way or the highway, hey, if I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. Now, shut up. Listen, hey, calm down. Listen, is that the love of God? Do you see Jesus treating people like that? Yeah, I'll, I, hey, if he treats me like Jesus treats me, then I'll do that. No, 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 stop. Stop that. The love of God. The love of God. It does not insist on its own rights or its own way. Why? For it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It's not touchy. There's some people that are very touchy. If you don't handle them with kid gloves and talk to them just the right way, then they blow up. That's not, that's ungodly. I'm just going to say that that's ungodly and that's not right. Your whole family shouldn't have to tiptoe around you and, oh, I don't know, man. I, and, and, and that's not right. That's not a healthy environment. It shouldn't be that way. The love of God is not touchy, fretful, or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. That's not possible. Isaiah 53 tells us that Jesus was led to the cross as a sheep is led to the slayer, yet he did not defend himself. He did not, he did not fight back. Jesus He did not pay any attention or any account to the suffering that he endured. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Look at verse 7. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. It is ever ready to believe the best of every person. The world tells you to believe the worst, to always assume the worst. Oh, I know why he's coming home late. I know. I know why. I know. Oh, oh, I get it. You just. Well, I, <laughs> the love of God. What does it do? It is ever ready to believe the best of every person. And listen, when you begin to believe the best of every person, you don't know how freeing that is. When you don't have to go around like crazy all the time, like, oh, I'll bet he's thinking this, I'll bet she's doing this, I'll bet that guy over there, and I bet this, and blah, 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 blah. And, and, and you're all the time just paranoid and full of anxiety and stress because you can't trust anybody, and you always think everybody's out to get you and backstab you and hurt you. And I'm sorry if you grew up that way, but the love of God, it always believes the best of every person. Now, I try to practice that in my life, and I'll admit, sometimes, uh, I, it's almost, it's, it's kind of cost me some. I'm just going to say that. I, there's sometimes I should be more suspicious than I am. You could probably ask our security people around here. I'm like, hey, nobody, nobody around here has any bad intentions. And yeah, sometimes it's bit me in the rear end, okay? I held, I told this story. I'm not going to go into it, but I literally assisted somebody in robbing my next door neighbor's house and I didn't even know it. Okay? Because I didn't want to believe it. <laughs> it's a long story. Anyway, it was a, just a stupid. And I apologize. They forgive me. But I didn't, I didn't realize there was a guy sitting on the rock in my front yard, a young man. And I get home one day. And this 20-year-old guy is just sitting there on the rock in my front yard. I'm like, huh, that's weird. There's not usually somebody sitting on a rock in my front yard. Like, hey, man, how you doing? He's like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm good. Uh, hey, you need a water? You want a sandwich or something? He's like, I'm just waiting on my friends. I'm like, I can get you something, man. I'm, li- I'm offering the man food. I didn't realize. He was the lookout while they were robbing my next door neighbor's house. Oh, I felt so bad. And anyway, a few minutes later, these guys come running out with arms full of stuff and running down the street. And I'm like, oops. Oh, my gosh. I feel so bad right now. Anyway, they forgive me and they don't blame me. But I just, I didn't, I don't know. I just... I just try to trust people and, and believe the best of them. And, and every now and then it's bit me in the rear end. But more often than not, really, especially with my family, believe the best. Don't jump to stupid conclusions. You know what? What a burden to bear. What stress to live. What anxiety. What a torture to live under when you've always got to be checking up. and blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. Love believes the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Verse 8, love never fails. 
And that is a powerful verse right there. I can tell you this much. No matter what you do in life, if you do it with God's love, you're not going to fail. Why? Unless the Bible's lying, which it's not, love never fails. Never, ever, ever. Love never fails. Now, someone may still treat you wrong. God will deal with them. But you're not going to have to get judged for it because you did it in love. Sometimes you love people and they take advantage of you. It's the truth. Yeah. They will answer to God for that. In fact, the Bible tells us, God says, no, 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 no. Don't take revenge into your own hands. Vengeance is the Lord's. If they want to mess with the child of God, they'll get what's coming to them. But God doesn't need my help. I'm not going to do it. I'll leave that between them and God. And I know this much. If I behave and act in the love of God, I will not fail. And that's the Bible truth. Amen. Let's give God some praise this morning. Amen. And so we choose love. And the second thing I want to say is this, is that we choose life. We choose life. You've got to choose life. Well, what in the world does that mean? How do you choose life? Well, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. When I choose Jesus, I choose life. When I choose to do things God's way, I am choosing life. When I bring my children to church to hear the word of God and worship Jesus, when I teach my children, they get, a, you know, $5 this week, I teach them, okay, 50 cents is going to go to the Lord. I'm choosing life. I'm choosing the ways of God. When I choose to teach my kids how to pray, when I choose to read the Bible to my kids, I'm choosing life. And I'm telling you today, if you want a healthy family, you better choose love. Some days I get the feels and I just feel like loving them. Some days I don't have that. So I choose to love. And some days I don't feel like reading the Bible to them and teaching them to pray and, and, and taking them over here. But I choose life for my family. And if you want a healthy family that's going to make it, you're going to have to make choices. And sometimes choices are hard and they're inconvenient, but you've got to do it anyway. Choose love and choose life. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. You still with me today? As I was looking up lots of statistics for this, you know, I don't use a lot of statistics anymore. I used to use a lot of stats in my messages. Not so much anymore. But I did find just one of these stats that is always mind-boggling. Did you know that women live on average in the United States five years longer than men do? That's a five years. That's huge. Globally, they live on average seven years longer. Seven years. That's crazy. And then, of course, you know, I... Upon further, you know, looking at, like, what are the reasons that women live so much longer? Well, you know, for one, if they're having health issues, they're more prone to go see the doctor. Women, on average, I'm not talking just about, you know, our church, we get lots of godly men. But across the board, women tend to be more spiritual. Uh, you know, it's just the way it's been. You can look at church records from, like, the 1400s, and there's twice as many women's names on the church attendance record in England from back then. And so, yeah, people that are spiritual, on average, live longer, too. Then I was thinking a big reason that can't be ignored is men do a lot of really stupid and dangerous things. <laughs> Thank you, yes. And, and so I'm just looking at all these pictures on the Internet of, you know, men stacking two ladders on top of each other just to change a light bulb. And, and it's all these crazy things. And I'm like, why do we do this? Because I look back at some of the dumb things I've done in my life, and why did I do that? And a lot of the times it's because you want a girl to think that you're crazy and tough. And, uh, and so – uh, this week, my Sam, my, my youngest, started preschool and uh, a few weeks ago, and he comes back this week, and he's been telling me, don't bring this up to him, this is between us. So he, he comes up, and he's like, this little girl, he tells me her name, he's like, she loves me. <laughs> she loves me. I'm like, wow. And, and, and so I start asking him, and he's like, yeah, so at, at, on the playground, 
I climbed up the slide instead of sliding down, and she thought that I was she thought I was going to get hurt, and she's like, "No, Sam, don't do it, Sam." And and she thought I was so tough and brave and strong, and I'm like, "How did that make you feel?" And she's like, "I felt I, I felt good." <laughs> so he's telling me all this. I'm like, "Wow!" So apparently, all the way even to the preschool level, man. Uh, Ladies, we just want you to think that we're tough and crazy and bold, even if that means climbing backwards up the slide. And it was the curly slide, no doubt. It wasn't even the straight slide. So he was putting his life on the line for her to realize how brave and tough that he is. And so, ladies, uh, you know, sometimes in the end, that's why uh, you live a lot longer than men. But praise God, it's all good. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19. Today, when... Today, I have given you the choice. Well, I don't believe in choice and the power of choice. Well, God said, today, I have straight up given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life. Why? So that you and your descendants, you and your children might live. There's a lot in that verse right there. That God has given you the choice between life or death. Between blessings and curses. And then he straight up tells you, choose life. I'm just going to tell you what to choose. Choose life. Why? So you and your descendants may live. Your choice right now, parents, grandparents, whoever you are, your choice about Jesus right now will have a monumental effect on the future of your kids. He didn't, why didn't he just say, oh, that you would choose life so you could live? So that you and your descendants, you and your children, you and your seed might live. And it's not just talking about having air pumping through your lungs on planet Earth. Live means God's definition of life. So you can live this life abundantly and blessed. And so that you can be in heaven someday and have eternal life. Choose life. And your decision now has a huge impact on your children. A Barna research study found that nearly half of all Americans who accept Jesus Christ as Savior do it before the age of 13. Statistically speaking, the greatest statistical time or opportunity that a person will make a decision about Jesus is before their 13th birthday. I don't know why that church does all that kid stuff all the time. We know. I've known this stat for years. We put a lot of money and resources towards children. Uh, they're not old enough to get it yet. They aren't old enough to understand this. Well, just hold off. You don't want to listen. The devil's not going to hold off on your kids. He will try to mess them up and screw their life up from the age of infant on up. And so, so many churches like, oh, don't do, you know, we'll babysit them. We'll, we'll offer it. We don't offer babysitting services. We offer children's ministry. Your babies in the nursery are here in the Bible right now and here in songs, worship songs. We're not just, we don't offer babysitting. That's not what we do because Satan will try to start messing with their life now. He's not going to hold off. We're not going to hold off. We're going to preach and lay the foundation. From baby on up to senior citizen, everybody counts. Everybody matters. And we're going to do our best to reach them. And the best chance that somebody's going to receive Jesus, statistically speaking, is before their 13th birthday. And then beyond that, something like, well, look it up. Two-thirds of people that receive Jesus do it before their 18th birthday. And the chances of 21 and beyond, it dwindles down very, very small for somebody doing it. And another interesting stat they found out is that people who become a Christian before the age of 13 are more, like, more double likely to stick with Jesus for the rest of their entire lives and never look back. So, oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants and you and your children will well, I don't know how to choose life. Choose the Bible. Choose prayer. Choose church. 
choose not watching bad TV shows in front of your children or when they're not there because Jesus is still there. Uh, choose to not say wrong words. Choose to be godly in front of them. That's choosing life. And nothing's more important to me than seeing kids grow up with mom and dad and kids grow up in the ways of God because then that gives us hope for the next generation. I want you to look at one last verse today, Joshua 24, verse 15. Joshua 24 and verse 15. And so I hope that I'm encouraging you today and, and, and bringing some stuff to you. And you need to know that, hey, even if you're, you know, the devil's hitting your marriage right now, if you are dedicated to Jesus and you're coming to church and reading your Bible, even beyond the promises of God, statistically speaking, there's very little chance <laughs> of you breaking up. But listen, you've got this. You're going to choose love and you're going to choose life and your family is going to make it. If you're laying the right foundation, amen. Jesus talked about two men. They both laid a foundation. One laid a foundation on sand. One laid a foundation on solid rock. The same storm came to both houses. The house that was laid on sand, the house crashed down. The house that was laid on the rock, the house stood firm. If you choose life, if you're choosing Jesus, if you're choosing the Bible and God's house, your foundation is solid rock. Storms will come. You're not exempt from storms. Storms will come, but the house will stand. And you're still there when it's all said and done. Amen. Choose life. Oh, that you would choose life. My gosh. Joshua 24, verse 15. And so here we have Joshua towards the end of his life. He's an older man now. He's talking to all the people, talking to the youngins, talking to the next generation of parents, talking to all these guys. And he says, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, and I'm telling you right now, to some people in our generation, it seems evil to serve the Lord. Isaiah said that in the end times, they'll call evil good and good evil. When you do something the Bible says is good and stand up for it, they'll say, oh, no, that's evil. Don't say that. And when you say, no, 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 what you guys are doing, that's evil. You can't do that to children. You can't do that over here. And they're like, no, it's good. Well, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, fine. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Because you will serve someone. Well, I don't serve no one, man. Ain't nobody. Oh, you serve someone. If it's not God, then you're serving yourself or you're serving your money or you're serving your political party or you're serving your ideology. You're serving someone. And so Joshua said, hey, if serving God seems evil, then choose for yourselves today who you are going to serve. Who are you going to serve? It's going to be somebody. He said, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell now. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. As for me and my house, I don't care. Yeah, pastor, but everybody else in Barstow is doing this. I don't care. Well, everybody else is, uh, they think this over here, popular opinion. Popular opinion is usually wrong. The crowd said, give us Barabbas, but kill Jesus. The crowd is usually wrong. But I'm telling you today, I don't care if my family is the only ones in all of Barstow and all of California that still says, no, you need to love your neighbor. You need to read the Bible. You need to stick together through thick and thin. You need to do the, uh, you need to do God's way, even if we're the only one. That's fine. Have it your way. Choose for yourself today who you will serve. We have made our choice, and we are not going back on it. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? And I know today that that's the choice that you're making, and that's the decision that you have made. But listen right now. Choose life. And why am I saying that? Because this is an intentional choice. It does not just happen. And I've found out. That the majority of people are very unintentional with their lives. Get up, get dressed, drive to Fort Irwin, drive to the Marine Base, drive down there to the railroad, drive to work. Then whatever else happens the rest of the day, whatever. You need to control the direction of your day, brother. You need to make some, you need to be intentional with your day. 
Quit wasting your time, man. When you get home, man, be intentional about it. Because your kids are not just going to serve the Lord by random chance. Like, oh, wow, that's cool. Oh, I, I don't know how that happened. I don't know. Guess we're just lucky. That is rarely how it works out. You need to be intentional and choose who your house is going to serve. And choose to do God's ways and God's things. Even when it's inconvenient. Even when you don't feel like it. It's a choice. And you're going to have to be very, very intentional about it. But choose today who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. No matter if anybody else does it or not. We've made that choice. And I'm not saying that conceited because I know so many people in here, you've made the exact same choice. We're serving God no matter what, right? We're going to do it his way. But my final thing to just throw out there to you today is this. If Satan's been attacking your family, yeah, he attacks all of our families. But it doesn't have to stay that way. You don't have to have a dysfunctional family and a screwed up family. Your family can be healed. Your marriage can be healthy. Your children and your house can be made whole in the name of Jesus. But it's going to take a whole lot of choosing. Choosing to love, even when it ain't easy, and choosing life on purpose, not just hoping that it it happens. Choose life that you and your descendants might live. And we're going to see some healthy families. That's my goal. I've got a lot to say, but I'm not going to say it today. But my whole goal is to change the family dynamic of this entire town sitting right over there. Tired of seeing families tore apart. Tired of seeing moms and dads splitting up. Tired of seeing the devil screw families up. We're about to change that. And I'll give you more details later because I can't do it today. Amen. Can we stand up together this morning? Praise God. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.